Hey, people, it's another Thursday, of course, over here at The Conversation Outspoken Opinionated. I am your host, Edwin J. Maya. I am super excited to be back here once more with you guys. It's been an amazing week. I'm super pumped for the conversation today. We're having, we are having an amazing conversation with an amazing individual. I can't wait for you guys to dive into this conversation. If you're watching, we say welcome to The Conversation. It's Outspoken, it's Opinionated. If you have not, we're asking you to go over now to our YouTube page and subscribe. The Conversation Outspoken Opinionated It's on YouTube. We're asking you to subscribe to our page. We're asking you to also go to Facebook and like us on Facebook. The Conversation Outspoken Opinionated. We're asking you to go to Instagram, like us on Instagram as well. Follow us, do all those great things. We are also on Spotify. So we're asking you to download download the podcast, um, listen to us, watch it, whatever it is. You guys will not believe it, but this is the first episode of August. Um, you all know that August is our last month of our season. So we have three more episodes to go for this season and season two is over. I can't believe it. The team can't believe it. We are all super excited. We are grateful to everybody who's um, been with us. Um, those who have joined us, those who have sent messages just to be with us. Last month was amazing. We celebrated Liberia. Um, independence with some amazing Liberian excellence. We had um, Shikita who gave us some amazing information on um, just enjoying Liberia, basically. We had an amazing conversation with Patrick Boros who gave us a history of Liberia, Mamu Johnson, Chantel Victoria. I mean, last month was great. This month is going to be totally out of the box. So this month we're having conversation on things that we really don't like to talk about. Today, we're having a conversation with C. Thomas. We are talking about the other mean to. So if you don't understand what the other mean to is, the other mean to basically came about after the mean to movement. When everybody, you know, when all these the women were calling out, being sexually assaulted, being sexually abused at the workplace. And then we also forget that there are men who do, who do have this conversation. Um who do have this conversation and it's just really, 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 really out of the box. We're asking you guys to just enjoy. We're asking you to just come on, just have a great time. This is what we always do. Um, guys, just give me one second. Of course, um, it's live. We're trying to make sure that C. Thomas can get into the broadcast. Um, so, So yeah, so this is what happens. Um, this is what we do. We haven't, um, you know, it's live. So of course this is what happens. But C. Thomas is trying to get into the broadcast. So we're trying to make sure that he gets in. Um, yeah, so again, like I was saying, we are going to have an be having an amazing month. This month, we actually are going to be talking about different topics that affect our community, the Black community, um, community in general. Um, this um, today conversation is going to be with C. Thomas. We're talking about, you know, men who have been assaulted. Um, he is a survivor, and so he's going to share his story with us. But without further ado, you guys, I don't know, um, for decades now, for decades, 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 um, 
Assault is something that people don't talk about. Um, assault on men, people don't have these conversations. We're just super under the rug. And I was on live a couple of minutes ago and I was having a conversation with some people there letting them know that um, in one of my lives, I had, uh, I had this amazing, amazing job where we, that's when this conversation thing started to me and where we just had conversations. And I remember having some conversation on, with these amazing young guys from different walks of life. And that was, and they were talking about being sexually assaulted, being sexually abused and stuff like that. And I think from my background, I didn't understand it. And so I was really educated on the fact um, about it. And so I wanted to have this conversation because it's something that we don't talk about in our community, um, among us black men, among the black family. I'm originally from Liberia, Africa, West Africa. We don't talk about that is a no. Oh, no, you don't have that conversation. You guys move on. It happened. That's it. But you see, our culture, especially uh, um, values in invulnerability and denial of an insult of, I would say, abuse when it comes to men. You're supposed to be strong. You're not supposed to cry. Um, there, you can't show no sign of vulnerability. And basically, men are not allowed to have this conversation. They're not allowed to say, oh, I've been assaulted. Oh, this person touched me this way. This person did this to me. And so... Um, there are a lot of stats going on. I they, I had some people, my team, do some research, and basically, they're, they're stating that between ten to twenty percent of males males nationwide will experience some kind of sexual assault. More than half of half of uh, sexual assault towards men literally are to adolescents, so young boys, um, and it happens at home um, with some sort of family member or neighbor. It's ridiculous, and the biggest reason why most boys, men refuse to report their assault is because they don't want to be labeled as gay. Now that's confusing to me because I'm like, uh, no, but you can't put your story on somebody else. And so I have learned that. And so I am going to bring, um, this amazing person who I met a couple of years ago in one of his little workshop. It was great. I was going through my issue in my life. And somebody said, you know what? We need to take you somewhere because you need to under you need to like relax. And so I'm gonna bring him in. Welcome, sir. Hey Edwin, how are you? I am doing good. I am so glad that you are here. I think it's been way overdue. You owe me five shows, by the way. I just want to let you know there are four more to go. <laughs> you know, I do. I owe you actually six. So six. I okay. So there are okay, five. No problem. Trust me. I, you you are a man of so many talents. So there is not going to be a problem for me to just create something and do it with you. But I am so super excited that you're here with us. Um, I, I do want to have this conversation. I think this conversation is important to have. But first, I wanted people to know who you are, so you know, just tell the people who you are, what you do, and all that good stuff. Hi, everyone. My name is C. Thomas. I am a spoken word artist, motivational speaker, and a facilitator in the DMV. I'm a nationally and internationally known poet. 2019 Poet Laureate nominee for Alexandria, Virginia. And I'm also steadfastly a child abuse prevention advocate. I do conduct trainings on how to prevent and how to respond to child sexual abuse through an organization by the name of Darkness to Light. That training, it breaks down the actual barriers, the bust myths, it teaches you the facts, it teaches you that we should normalize the conversation, that the conversation should not be taboo and it should go against the social norm and not with the social norm of being silent. Break the silence because that's the only way you're going to end the stigma. 
And these types of conversations should be had. They ought to be had and they need to be had if they're not really, and honestly they're not, so they ought to be had regardless. So that's me in a nutshell. And that's amazing. I told you guys it's gonna be so. But I like normally this. I like to start my people. Well, you know, like so. How has it been? So this been quarantine, and apparently, are you in DC or are you Maryland? I am in Maryland. I'm borderline between the two. I'm on the DC uh, line, literally. Okay, I am literally on the line too. So I, uh, I just want to ask you, how did this entire quarantine? How did that affect you? How did you come out of it? Look like we're about to go back into it. But how you been? COVID and everything. <laughs> I and I, I think we are going to go back to be honest with you. But um, I in the in the beginning it was rough because of course it was changed having you know outside stripped away from you activities that you're used to having you know the adult interaction the interaction to really blow off steam you know the the leisure activity outside of your home it was rough in the beginning but as i went through the year of quarantine i actually learned to sit with myself and look at parts of me that i thought were healed and were not healed and actually had an opportunity to converse with those parts of me and actually look at them and, and acknowledge them and not ignore them and give them the actual space and the proper opportunity to reveal and heal so i could be the better person i can be for myself as well as for everyone else. It gave me so it literally sat me down and made me look at me. So that's how my quarantine was. Mm. So I like you say that somebody we were I was having a conversation other than someone said quarantine made them made them to have this intimacy with themselves. So intimacy but intimacy where you have the opportunity to really look inward and see who you are as a person and work on it and all that kind of stuff. And so that's great. So what's um have you um you know with the covid vaccine and all that kind of stuff is um how how does that work? How is that looking for you when it comes to the vaccine, taking it, not taking it? Um I I am vaccinated. Okay. <laughs> um Good. so I don't need to wear my mask. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> yes, I am vaccinated. At first, I was apprehensive. I'm not gonna lie, as most of us were. Um, mm -hmm. I was very apprehensive, and prior to, I was I was working in the healthcare industry at that time, but I, I was still apprehensive. But I had to do a civic duty to myself to get this vaccine and to be a role model for those who were still apprehensive and who didn't know. I said, well, you know, you, for me, I said, Chris, you can't preach this and can't preach that if you're not going to lead by example. So I had to really batten down the hashes and go ahead and humble myself and get this vaccine. And I have to say, I, I got the vaccine. The, the second vaccine was a little rough for me. You know, um, it, was, it was a little rough, but I am happily vaccinated. <laughs> I am I like happily that. and proudly I, vaccinated. Happily vaccinated. And I'm over here to happily vaccinated. Been vaccinated since May, April, May, around there. Um, so I'm excited. Um, well, but let's just go right into this conversation. So why does I will tell you, I like to give a backstory why this conversation came about. I was telling the audience that um, a couple of years ago I had this opportunity where I will do focus groups. And my focus groups was really based on, I would say, intricate conversations that people don't have. And so in the room, you will have people from all walks of life in different backgrounds. So I, from Liberia, West Africa, you have a Caucasian person, an Indian person, different mix of guys. 
given their experience when it comes to life. And through that, that fostered into this conversation that we had where there were multiple guys one time in a room where they talk about being sexually abused. For me, coming from a developing country or from a country where everything is hush-hush, I didn't understand that because there are so many other things. I think there are so many other layers to this conversation that needs to be peeled off for you to really understand when this person say, you know, I'm a young man and I was violated sexually. And you're like, what? What do you mean? And so I wanted to have this conversation because I see the work that you do. The work is amazing. Um, you know, just following the comments from people when you do stuff is just great. And I have my I have my own testament testimony with you where um, somebody look at me and say, you need some help. Let's go. Let me take you somewhere. Take you to a workshop. You need to do that. And I went to one of your stuff in the park, like open, free spirit. It was great. I had a great time. That's when I first met you. And it was just, it was for me, it was mind blowing because I've never had an experience like that. And so I want to have this conversation with you when it comes to, first, I really want to talk about this stigma because I think there is this, there is this thing where they say, you know, uh, black men aren't, so, black men can't talk about this. Like you, you're a man, how are you going to get sexual, like what's going on? So how can we handle that stigma? Oh, not that stigma, but that, uh, um, I can find lack of a better word, that uh, um, scenario of you're not supposed to, like men don't say that they're sexual abuse because they're afraid that people are going to say they're gay. Well, I want to start off by saying, because this is a necessary conversation, especially sexual abuse is a very taboo conversation, mm -hmm. but it's a conversation nonetheless. And this is a conversation, especially when it centers around the Black African-American community. We often brush it under, sweep it under the rug on purpose because you're not supposed to talk about it. You know, you were abused, get over it. You're not there anymore. Stop worrying about stuff in the past. You know, their family, you know, you have to be there for family. And, you know, stop being so sensitive and stop crying about it, get over it. And that's just not fair because you're telling that person that they're not worthy of being heard, seen, or even valued, and that their feelings mm -hmm. should be bottled up and put to the side, and that you're not even going to try to even make space. Not even going to try, that you're not going to make space for their feelings to be um, to be felt. So starting off with this, one thing that you have to do is one, you have to learn the facts. Um, black men have been taught historically that, you know, you're, you know, you're they've been led to believe that they're gay if they, <clears throat> are sexually abused if they're abused and if they like it or if they even if they have an erection and that they're gay if, if another man is the one who sexually assaulted them and that's not the case i do want to point that out that is not the case that is a myth and it's a very absurd thing to say to anyone period who discloses sexual abuse to you studies and statistics have shown that people who sexually assault children of the same sex identify as heterosexuals and are in heterosexual relationships. It is very unlikely, very unlikely for a homosexual to sexually abuse a child. Mm -hmm. 
And that right there doesn't mean that the child is gay. It means that that child is sexually assaulted. That's exactly what it is. So don't try to cover it up with something else to mask what action to mask what it actually it is. The elephant, there's a pink elephant in the room. That child was sexually assaulted. That child was violated. That adult took advantage of that child's vulnerability and you manipulated it to get what they wanted from them. It does not mean that that child is gay. It means that child was sexually assaulted and their feelings and their vulnerability were manipulated in the process. One out of five boys are abused before age 18. Yep. Um, 80% of young adults who were abused as children meet at least one criterion for a psychiatric disorder. You know, and it's bothered me when you hear like when younger when young men are molested or sexually assaulted or some or even, you know, sexualized, it's basically looked at a rite of passage into manhood. No, it is sexual assault. Stop putting a band-aid over a gaping wound and sending it on and look at it as it's gonna be okay. That trauma is going to follow that young man into his adulthood. That trauma in his adulthood is going to manifest in ways of possible abusing other people, being, you know, very misogynistic, being, you know, harmful to himself or to anyone else because that trauma did not have a place to go. So it, 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 it actually went inside and it stayed there and it latched on to his inner child. That childhood trauma is manifesting in a way through anger, anxiety, stress, and is doing everything that it can to be seen and heard. And unfortunately, that's how it happens. So, so we I, need sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, so go you, ahead. So we need to stop masking. We need to stop masking it and actually looking at what it is. It's sexual assault, it's childhood abuse. It is something that an adult should not have done to a child. That's exactly what it is. It's not a rite of passage. It's not a gateway to homosexuality. It is sexual abuse. And so you say that, and there's so many other questions that comes that come up. But I've, um, you know, there are times where people do. Um, I think all the time when it comes to young boys or men, people sweep it under the rug. It's not a conversation we're not going to have it. And so you have these things fostering these kids. And then people say that, okay, you know, an abused, an abused child grows up and turns into an abuser. And so how do we start that conversation with kids who are abused? Well, what you want to do, number one, when a child discloses abuse to you, there are three important things that you do. Number one, you remain calm. Two, you listen. And three, you report. Our duty as a responsible adult when a child discloses is not to act out through our feelings to be angry or mad because that child is coming to you and letting you know and disclosing what happened to you. And they're, all, they're already scared, they're already nervous, they're already frantic because they're confused, they're not knowing what's going on. They probably even think that it's their fault. If we lash out in a way where we're screaming and yelling and doing all this other craziness, <clears throat> that child is gonna think that it is their fault. Everything that that child is feeling and thinking, they're gonna believe that it's true because of how we reacted. We have got to remain calm. We cannot let our own personal feelings take over. We cannot, and then we cannot let them see us crack because they're coming to us because they're looking at us as adults who are strong. 
because children think adult knows everything, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to remain calm. And another thing that I will also say with remaining calm, you should not ever, and I mean ever, bash the abuser in front of the child because children are very protective over the ones who they care about and that could be the perpetrator. So you never want to bash. Your job is to remain calm. And when that, and then you listen, if that child stops talking, you be patient with the child and you let that child tell you in their words what happened. And then you just, and you encourage them, thank you for sharing this with me. This is not your fault. You are so brave and so courageous for sharing this with me. Thank you. <coughs> Excuse me. And you let them know that they are worthy. I mean, doing that, I'm my apologies, but doing that, you're letting them know that they're seen, that they're heard, that they are worthy of being protected. That right there, once that is done, you report to SART, which is a sexual assault response team, mm -hmm. and you let them know exactly what happened by exactly the way that child told you, i.e., if a little girl is if a young lady, if a young, if a young little girl comes to an adult and discloses and she say, my, my daddy ate my cookies, you tell the authorities exactly how she told you. You don't change the word up. You give it to her in the exact same words that that child told you. That's how that process, that's how that process goes. And then also what you don't do is say, well, what did you do? And you don't bash and tell, well, who did it? Well, why did it go on? Well, why did you say something? Well, why, you know, why were you there? You don't do that. That's how you derail. That's how you tell the child, or that's how you lead the child to believe that it's their fault, that they're lying, that you don't believe them. You don't do that. That's an, that's an attack. That child will then begin to sink. And then that causes problems. So you don't, that's, you just avoid that. You remain calm, you listen, and you report. That is it. And I, you said remain calm, and I know it's funny because I wrote that on my notes. How, when it's, I think it's different when you are in a capacity of dealing with stuff like this, you have some sort of, I would say some sort of counseling background, something to do with mental health. When you are not a parent and your child comes to you and tell you, say that, you know, uncle this, or brother this, did, so, did this to uh, rape me, or, you know, funder with me, or play with me, or did something like that. How can you become in that situation? That's a very good question. And I often get that question a lot. And the best way I can tell you to handle that is with you being a parent, and then you have two children, one of the other children is the one who has sexually assaulted that, that, the other child. Number one, you remove the child from the house. You separate the child, but you still have to do all of the above. Remain calm and listen and report. You have to, but you do not keep the child under the same roof. You separate them. You can have them stay with a family member, with a, a close friend, whomever. You don't, and I understand that being, I'm not a parent, but I can understand the frustration and the anger, but you have gotten, Remaining calm and listening is vital to this whole thing. I always say be calm and direct. You want to remain calm, listen, but you want all your actions and your attention. When I say to be directed by that means you are actually there and you're actually engaging when presence with that child. 
Okay. You're asking open-ended questions. You're not badgering that child. You're not anything. But yes, in that instance, siblings or cousins, separate them. They have to be separated. Mm. So what happens? So, you know, there are family members. Um, there are mothers, fathers, guardians who most often will, they'll feel embarrassed because of such um, thing that's happening is in the family and they don't talk about it. And, you know, you go, you know, you have these families where, you know, there is this thing that we don't talk about. There is this uncle that all you were told, don't go to that, like, don't mess with that uncle, but no one tells you what uncle did. And then you find out and then you keep it in because your mom or your dad or brother or sister don't want to talk about it because there's some sort of embarrassed. So how do you actually educate these parents when it comes to them? Because sometimes parents feel that they feel their child because they allow this to happen. Well, I always say to anybody, not just parents, but to anyone, if you as a parent or a caregiver don't feel comfortable with having your child around another family member or another friend, you don't have that person around them. That's just the bottom line. Yeah. You don't have you don't have to go into detail with the child to let them know why. You just let them know that I just I just don't want you to be around them. And because they're not a good, I don't want to say a good person, because in the instance, it's not, you know, a good thing that they're sexually assaulting kids or have sexually assaulted a child. But at the same time, you don't want to dance around the fact that, you know, your uncle is or your aunt is, you know, you do want. You're muted. We can't hear you. Uh oh. No. I can't unmute you because. Now? How about yeah, now? you're good. You're okay. good. You're good. My apologies. Um, no you want to have that interaction to letting them know that you know no, you cannot. And mm -hmm. then also with that being said families have this issue black families particularly have this issue when they want to protect the perpetrator in the family yes and actually not do anything about that and that i feel is stupid <laughs> for a better choice of lack of words yeah. because i as a black gay man it is easier or more of a logical answer to protect the perpetrator but then you want to demonize the gay relative. You want to cast them to hell. You want to do everything, throw them the brims, throw them the brimstone. But the known perpetrator in the family, you know, that's Uncle So and So, that's Aunt Such and Such. You know, don't go over there. You know, they're a little, uh -huh. but you know what they still, but but they're still family. But no, that's you're giving mixed signals and messages. <laughs> you're giving mixes and messages, and then with that also. Um, historical trauma is evident with that as too, because it's like, okay, so you know this is going down, so you're not doing anything to break the cycle, or you or nothing has been done to break the cycle, and it's just now trickling down to family member, family member, family member, generation, generation, generation. And for what? That's not solving the problem. You're not talking about not. it when you should have been into it, when it should not have actually, if God forbid, and it shouldn't have happened in the first place, but then after the first place, when it was found out, something should happen then to prevent mm. it from happening again. 
you know, the whole protection of children and even some adults for that matter, yeah. it has been thrown out the window. Like there are some adults who I know that, that have never disclosed because they were told as children to shut up. I have one in particular, she disclosed to her grandmother when, um, that her uncle, <clears throat> excuse me, that her uncle molested her. Her grandmother gave her a bath, bathed her, put her in a dress and did her hair and then took her to go get some ice cream and said, we don't talk about it ever again. And that was very traumatic because then that told her that, you know, it's going to happen, but it's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And every time it does happen, I get rewarded. So, right. It's like, that was the mixed message for her. And so <clears throat> she grew up. And she that that trauma followed her into her adulthood, and she ended up becoming an alcoholic, and just to cope because that's one thing that happens when you know that trauma can do that. It can actually put you in the mouth of drug use. It can put you in the mouth of being hypersexual because mm-hmm. you know that's what you're. That's what you know happens. Yeah, and because of what happened to you. So if you teach a child at an early age that they're worthy of being seen, heard, and respected. And that if this, and if it got, like I said, God forbid it happens, it shouldn't happen again. Because when that child is close to you the first time, that should be the only time that conversation really has to take place. But then something needs to happen after that to protect that child. And then make sure that, and you don't ever, let me be clear, you don't want to promise either a child that it won't happen again because that child is trusting you. The language should be, I'm going to do everything in my power to protect you. Uh, That's what you tell that child. I'm going to do everything in my power to protect you. And I like the way how you choose in certain words. Because I think for us who, uh, I, I can't ever imagine if my child comes to me and tell me, I don't know what I would do. I'd probably go get a gun and kill somebody. I'm just, it's, 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 yeah, I'm just saying, I don't know. And so, because it's like, I just feel it's the, that is just out of this world. And so I really want to talk, I want us, if we can just uh, move on to another aspect where I think why there, there is this myth that people say, you know, oh, if the person didn't disclose that there was sexual abuse, especially for a man, he enjoyed it. He wanted it. That's why he's not telling, that's why the person didn't tell anybody. And so, you know, when you as someone who, you know, uh, is trying to, you know, educate us and create workshops and stuff like that, how can we change that myth for people to understand that once once someone is sexually assaulted or sexually abused, there is something that is taken from them. And sometimes I say there is something that they can probably never get back because if that is their first sexual experience, that's a whole nother level. So how can we break that myth of people not saying not saying anything because they like it? I will go back to what I said previously. <laughs> Learn the facts. Don't assume because that's all at that point what's going on. Learn the facts. Just because a child, um, like I said, just because a child got an erection off mm-hmm. of being fond in that way does not mean they liked it. That's a natural body function for us men mm. is for us to become aroused in that way. And it doesn't mean we liked it. Yeah. It doesn't mean we wanted it. It doesn't mean that at all. What it means, again, you were sexually assaulted. 
you were taken advantage of. You were tricked into believing that this should happen. You were tricked into believing that is what, you know, friends do, and we have to keep this a secret. You know, that's one thing. So don't ever, 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 ever believe that that is a myth. I invite anyone who's listening or watching to go to a website, one in six, dot org and that's the number one i n the number six dot org they have a list of facts and myths on there that and it's strictly for men who were sexually assaulted and it will bust every single one of those myths it'll tell you the breakdown of it and everything we men have we come from a place of real strong brute Mm -hmm. and real strong you know Oh. And we're supposed to be these brick walls of emotions. We're not supposed to let any of that show because we're men. Exactly. That show. Oh, then you're being sensitive, or, or you're being gay, or you know you're acting like a little punk or a sissy. No, that's him crying out. That's all that is. That's crying out for help because his feelings don't know what to do at this point. His feelings are having a temper tantrum, and they don't know what's going on, and they don't know how else to act out except for in the way that they're acting out. And not saying that, um, you know, it's right with him being angry, but he has a valid reason because he's never been taught how to handle his emotions as a child. Because when that happens, they're always told, man up, stop being a punk, stop being a, you know, be a, be a big boy. No, he's a child. He's being a child. The shit hurts. You know, excuse my language, it hurts, <laughs> you know? And, you know, just let them be what they're supposed to be. And that's children. You should be the one to man up or to woman up because you're the adult. Help that child. That child was put on this earth not knowing how to fend for themselves. We as as adults have to do that. We have to raise these children in a way of showing them what proper consent is, what good boundaries are, you know, how to protect their, um, how it's no enforcement that it's okay to say no. You don't, you shouldn't force your child to hug someone when they're uncomfortable and don't want to hug. You shouldn't force your child to go over someone's house when they don't want to go. These are, you just respect that. And there, and it, it could be anything. It doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, that something happened to them in the, with that person. But at the same time, you want to honor that because at that time, they may not feel like being bothered and may not want to go. And exactly. and I remember when I was growing up, <clears throat> I was always told the ageless tale or the ageless saying, children are to be seen and not heard. And that's a problem because children should be seen, yes, and children should also be heard. Exactly. And when you and when you tell them that they shouldn't when you tell them that they shouldn't be heard, you're giving off the message that they're not worthy of respect. You're giving that message off, and that's a foul message to give to a child. It is a very foul message to give to a child because sometimes that child grow up, and when they have a family of their own, they perpetuate that same thing into their family and onto their children, and then you're continuing a cycle, and then you're keeping a door open that shouldn't be open. You should, from as children, we should have learned properly what consent was and how to exercise our boundaries off of that consent. A majority of us were not. Mm-hmm. And I can say I wasn't. But at the same time, 
for the ones who were taught what consent was and was actually able to put boundaries in place, I raise, I tip my hat to you. But for a majority of us, we were not. We are not born damaged. Damage was given to us. And it was mm. given to us in the name of non-protection in a lot of instances. And I really like that you say that because I know I'm having a situation right now where my son plays football. And so my son is super emotional. I mean, his feelings, he will tell you exactly how he feel. And you know, he's on his field and I see other kids where they're crying and they'll tell him, don't cry, why are you crying? And I had a conversation with one of the parents. I was just like, he's eight or seven. When it hurts, he's gonna cry. That's the only way he know how to show his emotional, his emotions connecting to something that hurts him. So he's gonna cry. So instead of you, you're screaming at him not to cry. Why don't you find out what's going on? How can I help you? Okay, you fell when you hit your knee. Okay, so is it okay? Are you bleeding? Anything okay? Everything? And then you can go back on the field. And so I think it's because I said, it's because these men, our black men, were thought when they were growing up that men are not supposed to cry. You're supposed to be strong, like you said earlier. And so now they have kids, and that's what they're imparting in their kids. And those kids are going to impart into their kids, and we have all these grown-up kids because they get become adults, and because they didn't deal with their hurt as kids, they are just off the hook. But that's what we see. We see these angry men who aren't in, in tune with their emotions because they were never given the opportunity to be in tune with their emotions. But I will leave that alone for another day because I can go a whole day when it comes to my son. So I'll leave that alone. But I want to talk, about, I want to really um, um, get your opinion on this. So as men, of course, I was when we when whatever form of attraction, whatever form of sexual attraction, we have a penis, our penis is going to erect and it, that's just what's going to happen. That falls in line with a conversation of how can a man be raped by a woman if it's there? How can a man be raped by a woman when that is there? So I wanted, I just want to hear your thoughts because I have my thoughts, but I want to hear you first. Are we talking about from the aspect of adolescence or for? Well, we just no. We're talking about so now. I want to bring it into like adults. So I I asked this question because we're having a conversation, and um, someone brought up where there are stats that shows that most more more men are being raped in prisons than outside because these women, these prison guards, are raping these men, and they can say anything because they feel that they're men. I'm a grown man. How can a woman rape me? <clears throat> it's power one mm -hmm. and because of that these men who are locked up being raped by these female by these women prison guards it's an assertion of power and it's a stripped down like i don't maybe you know again going back to manipulation or not even manipulation to grooming grooming is a term i should have bought up earlier but i can't even use grooming and actually with this because <clears throat> The prison guards may be saying, if you don't, I'm going to say this happened, and then if we get you a time here, then you'll get in more trouble, and then blah, blah, blah. So you might as well give them what you want. Basically, you're threatening them. You're actually making them do something that they don't want to do. You're actually stripping them of their consent, and you're actually making them please you in a way that 
is going to is that's going to satisfy you. When people think of rape, they probably think of like force and you know pin down, and it's not always go. physical. It's mm-hmm. not always physical. Rape can be with lack of consent. Rape can be you know the value of taking my choice away and then doing it to me. It's not a mutual agreement, but you're the one benefited from this. And I'm the one that to feel uncomfortable while you're walking away satisfied because you got what you want. You did what you had to do to my body or to me, and you got what you wanted. That's sexual assault, regardless. Even if, um, one say for instance, even if the female guard just happened to grab the man by his crotch just in passing or grab his butt, that's also sexual assault because he did not give permission. If he feels uncomfortable, it was not consensual. And that's sexual assault, regardless. It doesn't have to be with, you know, strength pinning down or have it be physical. Rape can be coercion and the stripping away of consent. It, it's, it, it's, oh, <laughs> I can go on about this, but that's rape is, rape is not physical all the time. And it's not rough and it's not, even because even when you hear the word and then what you saw growing up watching TV, like when women were raped, you would you automatically associate rape with something being, you know, hard, rough, and yeah. and you know this power, you know, beat you down. And not saying that it, that it's not the case, and not saying that it doesn't happen, but rape doesn't always signify that type of action. Mm. And I that's exactly why I want to hear because I that was my thing. I think um it's because we are conditioned to understand to associate rape with violence. We are conditioned to associate rape with overpowering um physically. We are um so our mind once it happens is like you're a man. How did you allow a woman to rape you? Like you could fight yourself up and we realize and sometimes it's like and I think even with outside of jail, I think even in regular society where the people who are outside, there are men who get date rape. Um, I've seen, read and seen some things. I'm like, are you kidding me? There are women who, well, I know, I, I will say, I will say this. I see this in church a lot of times and people don't get it, but there are these little things that with people in church say that I just feel it is so violating. And I think it's like, a, oh my God, she, she's getting so big. Look at her chest, she's developed. And I always were wondering, like, what do you mean? Like, why would a man say that to a little girl? Like, she's so developed. Like, like, what's going on in your head? And those are things I feel that we don't look at. And I would say this because there was one time where this lady actually grabbed my butt in church. And I was just like, what the hell is that? I was caught off guard, first of all. And it was, afterwards, I was like, that was that was an assault. Why is she doing that? But because you know it's in church, and that's people don't think that way and stuff like that. We let, and that's why I was going to. We let certain things slide in certain environments. So here's my thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Here's my thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of sexual assault take place in church. Let's just—I'm just going to say it. It takes place in church. Let's just say, you know, you have the pastor or the reverend who does stuff behind closed doors with the young little boys or the young little girls. You have, you know, what you said. For instance, it's like it's supposed to be 
how can I say this? I guess in the name of Jesus, it's okay because mm -hmm. it's it's in church and I may yeah. and you know, but no, it's not. It's not like with people in power like that, it's easier, you're quicker, some people are quicker to protect them because mm -hmm. of the power and the figure that they are within the community. And when you hear or uh, that a reverend or a pastor or a Catholic leader, bishop, whomever has done something, and you know, you can't be scared by the power that they have, that they hold, I'm going to tell, and that's just going to be the bottom line of it. And I don't care who you, who you are or how you feel or how much you pray or how many Hail Marys you say, you did it, it happened. You want to, you need to um, suffer the consequences and be accountable for what you have done. Your job is to, as a whomever in the church, is to actually to lead me and down the path of righteousness and to introduce me to Jesus and to God in a way to for salvation. It is not to do that and think you have access to my body in that way. That is not how Jesus has come on the earth. That is not how Lazarus had risen. That did not happen. <laughs> I don't know what makes you think it's okay for that to happen, but no, don't, no, not at all. Mm -mm. So how do we deal with this? You know, um, going back to you, you guys, you being an expert, you know, and I'm going to keep, I'm going to go back again to church where I feel, you know, we see all these things on the news. We read about it in newspapers and magazines and stuff like that, where families, because of, like you said earlier, the position of whomever this leader is in the church, families protect them and forget about their children nephew, niece, whomever it is. And these pastors are being protected. But we forget that this person is going to continue this process with somebody else's child, with somebody else, but we still keep them around children. I don't know. I'm trying to understand now. Why do you think that happened? Why do people still keep these people around children? Well, for a lot of times, the now, this is what I can honestly use the term grooming. Yeah. Grooming is something that a perpetrator would do to gain trust from the child as well as the family. The perpetrator will groom the child and sometimes the family into believing that they're this top-notch person. Oh, you can trust me. I'm this, that, and third. Oh, my God. Look, look, look. And if, and if you're also, say, for instance, you're into church, and your pastor is that person who has come to you and you know, you see them and they're spending time with your son or your daughter and you know, they're seeing the encouragement and he's telling, the, telling you the parent how much, you know, the spirit is in this child and how powerful the spirit is leading through this child or what, I'm just giving an example. And you know, they start to make a connection with that child and that family through either, you know, I would love to teach your child or even promising the child certain things, certain materialistic things like money, trips, whatever the case may be, just to gain that child's trust so far that that child start to become more, the walls that the child may have are now actually absolutely broken down and vulnerability is present because again, just the vulnerability that they're preying on and to get that access. And <clears throat> the parent may never ever know that 
you know, that child has been molested because, again, going back, that reverend or whomever the perpetrator is may have been threatened that child. But if you tell, then that means that I can't get you what I'm normally getting you. Or, you know, do you think your mommy and daddy are going to believe you? No, they're not. They're going to think that you did this and that you liked this and that you wanted this. Like, they tricked the child and believed that, you know, you did want this and that, you know, my actions were absolutely um, justifiable. And yeah, this is why we're here. And one of the things, and so, but they always start off by doing little things also by like, you know, like maybe little hugging, high fives, you know, patting the child on the back. And then that can escalate into longer hugging, rubbing the child while you're hugging them. And then that's when it all starts coming. Like you're breaking down and you're getting that child to where you want them to be. And 90% of abuse in children happens by someone who they know. It's never, not saying that you shouldn't believe in stranger danger, but that not 90% is a large number. Yeah, it's a large number. It's a large number. And it's by, and they are familiar with their perpetrator. So they know their perpetrator. It's a, it, could be a, it could be a parent. It could be another family member. It could be a friend. It could be someone in the church. It could be anybody that you and that child have a close relationship with. And so I will ask you, um, you know, for parents, there are parents who are watching. um, We have people who are watching, people are commenting and stuff like that. How can a parent know signs of abuse when it comes to their son or their daughter? That's a very good question. And most of the time when you hear abuse, you look for physical signs mm-hmm. like bruises or cuts or something of that nature. Um, the most present sign of abuse in a child will be their emotional and behavioral change. If you see that your child is always happy, right? And you know, and they're just, no, yeah, your child's always happy. And, you know, they're always laughing, joking, playing, running around free. But then all of a sudden you notice that they're just walking around. That light has dimmed. They're walking around, mm-hmm. maybe looking at the ground. Their head is lowered. What you normally see has now turned into something completely different. That's a red flag for, for, for parents, okay? And how you do that is you actually recognize that by verbally saying, hey, Malik, um, you're pretty, you're normally a pretty happy kid, but lately you've been a little sad. Want to tell me what's going on? Or, you know, you want to tell me what's happening or you want to talk about it? And, you know, just ask questions, open-ended questions, I should say, that's going to engage that child to open up to you. Now, what you're doing with that, you're, one, you're telling the child that you see them. Okay. And by and again, remember when you see the child, you're telling them that they are worthy, and that and that they are worthy of love, worthy of respect, that they matter. And then it could be anything. It could be someone at school is picking on them, which still isn't good. Yeah. But you know, you want to go ahead and start that conversation. That actually, it's it's okay to check in. That's what you're doing. You're checking in. You're being a parent. You're keeping a vigilant, open eye on this child you're letting the child know like i say i see you and you go there and like they could be anything it doesn't necessarily have to be abuse but if it is abuse and he disclosed abuse to you we go back to what i said earlier listen and you report 
become. I'm still working on that. But, but you know what? A lot of parents are. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I cannot promise you. I ain't even talking about my child, my niece or my nephew, or even a French child, or even somebody who I know, because I I used to mentor a lot of kids um, um, in a youth group. And so, you know, they're all grown and stuff like that. But if I remember, like, they're just telling me something not as huge as that magnitude, and I'm having a conversation with their parents. And they'll be like, no, you're not. So, yes, I am. We're gonna, I'm going to go to your house and I'm going to have a conversation with your mom. I'm going to have a conversation with your dad because I cannot have the fact where a child is divulging a lot of information to me and they're not having those conversations with their parents. You, as a child, I always oh. felt. I will in. Go ahead. I always I'm felt. With that. Okay, I always felt that I didn't, I never wanted to be two or three steps ahead of the kid's parents. And so that okay. was my uh-huh. So what you do with that. Yes. All right. So what you do with that, um, one, you are doing a vigilant thing because you are keeping an eye and it's a very good thing that you want to protect the child, but you don't take it upon yourself to go to the child's house. What you do, you actually tell your superior mm-hmm. and whoever you have to report to first that you may have noticed a change in a child or if that child has disclosed abuse to you, yes. you tell your authority who you're supposed to report to then your um you and your superior can either one make the report together because when you report together that's showing strength in numbers and it's a support system and that's also very good to have when you make a report is a good strong support system then you go ahead from there and then you let the law step in and take matters into their hands to actually do what's supposed to because you showing up at the child's house get you in trouble and they can cause more problems for that child. Okay, I I take it, I will accept it, but you know, I think I needed, I don't know. You it don't was just, like it, I can see you don't like yeah, it. Yeah, I don't like it. I always <laughs> felt like, you know, when I always had, you know, it was like, and I won't say it was major <laughs> conversation, but just conversation where I felt that, you know what, I think your parents needed to, your parents need to be involved in this. And so, yeah, that's what I did. I will go and, meet the parents and say, you know, let's just have a conversation. This is what's going on with your child and stuff like that. And I brought them in. And sometimes it helps, sometimes it didn't. I've had kids who stopped talking to me because of that. And then I had kids who loved me and appreciated me because I did that. And, you know, and so it it didn't balance. Someone is asking, what if the parent is the abuser? Don't that make things worse? That goes back to the 90%. And yes, that is... It makes it, it doesn't make it worse. It just, it honestly, you no know, child should not be abused by the parent. But yes, yes, it does make it worse, I feel. But then if that child trusts an adult and they actually disclose to somebody, a teacher, a trusted friend, a neighbor, whomever, that they're being abused, then you know, then the child is doing the right thing by going for help. But then also, that also goes back to me for adults to keep a vigilant eye open. So say for instance, you're a teacher, right? Yeah, and you notice that you're that you have a child that's coming to school, and you see that child is hardly bathed. That child is, you know, look a little malnourished or has cuts, scrapes, and bruises, and you know, is you know just not the child that you once saw. 
that's a red flag. And then you talk to the child, like you said, you just check in with the child. Like I said earlier, hey, I normally notice that you know that you like recess, but you don't want to play, but you're not going outside to play or you don't want to play. You sit by yourself. You know, you start the conversation. If that child discloses to you that something's going on at home with their parents or their caregiver, then you again make that make that those steps, take those steps to report to your authority and then you make the report together so the law can step in that's how that cycle goes again remain calm report i mean remain calm listen and report that as a mandated reporter i cannot stress that enough remain calm listen and report and if you are a mandated reporter you have no other choice by the law to report because if you don't you can face a fine and jail time you must report and apparently the person said they were actually talking to me. What happens if the child who, let's say the person disclosed that they were being abused and I go tell the parents, well, I would say this, I never had that. I never had to deal with that. And I think if that had ever come out, come up, I was actually going to take them to whoever my leader was. That was, was at that time. It was, I can tell you, it was going to be a conversation that I was not going to get involved in. I was going to say, you know what? I'm going to talk to the pastor, whoever our youth leader at that time was, and say, y'all need to handle this. Because I know my temperament and I know how I, crazy I can get because I'll probably go fight the parents. So that part, I was never going to get involved. But we're almost at time. I know you don't believe this, but it's almost, we are literally at the end of ending this. And I have on the screen, um, I have your website where people can find you, imcthomas.net. Both the C. Thomas on Instagram. But can you tell these people the information that you have, things that you do, so they can know where to find you, follow you, be a part of your amazing poet, poetry stuff that you do, and all that great stuff? <laughs> Absolutely. The best way to find me, everybody, is all of my social media is on my website. I always put that there because repeating all my social media is a lot sometimes so i just give you guys the website go to the website it also gives you a chance to look at my website too i'm proud of my website and you know thank you and you can access my um you can contact me for speaking engagements you can book me for shows what teaching opportunities workshops opportunities for darkness to light i will go ahead and just start the conversation with you with that that's not an issue um, you can also follow me at my IG page, which is right there, boldly C. Thomas. I do follow back because I think it's rude when you don't. But um, and there you'll see on that page, I'll have facts, I'll have little messages, notes, definitions, celebrations of things going on there. And it's all in the name of childhood prevention, childhood abuse prevention, as well as Black LGBTQ abuse prevention as well. I, um, I'm just a fun person. <laughs> and one of my main things I like to do, I like, I love, I should say, is to educate adults on this because it is a subject that is always often not had. And I am, a, I'm a cat dad. I have a cat. I love my cat to pieces, but you see more commercials and more people up in an uproar for protection of an animal than you do for a child. And that doesn't make any sense to me. And 
one of the, one of the um, comments that somebody made to me was, well, you know, it's an easier subject. It's not. It's not. Mm-hmm. Because it's not. It's just not. You're telling me, so you're telling me that that child doesn't matter. That's what, that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. So, but talk about it. Learn the facts. I really invite you all to learn the facts. I really want you guys to learn how to minimize one-on-one opportunities, react responsibly, talk about it, and, you know, report. Don't be afraid to learn and to dive in. You can start with Google and the way that you can, I gave you guys a website, oneinsix.org. You can Google child abuse prevention facts. It will pull up multiple websites that you can actually look at, read on, and learn things and go from there. And then I highly encourage you to take the course or the training, I should say, students to children through Darkness to Light. I am an authorized facilitator for them. Again, go to my website. You can contact me and we can start the conversation if you want me to bring this to your school, your organization, or your church. Or if you want to have, I had somebody that want to do an actual brunch and actually have this for a group of her and her friends and some of her family members so they can actually have this conversation. And you do get a certificate as two and a half continuing education credits. It is worth it. Well, it's been an amazing one hour. I've learned so much. I will learn how to be calm. I'm still working on that. But thank you so much for gracing um, for being on this platform. Um, it was good to have you with us. It's always great to uh, um, see you. It's always great, you know, just to just get the knowledge and information that we need to do what we're supposed to do as great people, as good citizens. I say thank you for being on this platform. We are the conversation. I tell people, I say, now you, we have had this conversation. It's been great. And then what do we do from here? So I say, thank you so much for coming on here, for giving us this information. And we hope to have you back again. Absolutely. Thank you so very much, Edwin. You are welcome. Everyone who listened and asked questions. And so again, you can follow him on Instagram at both the C Thomas. Also, you can go to his website, imcthomas.net. You can get all his information. He's going to be there. We're asking you again to go to YouTube, subscribe to the conversation outspoken opinionated, Facebook, Instagram. And this has been an amazing conversation with the one and only Mr. C Thomas. Have a good day, sir. You too. Thank you. Thank you for, for being here. So, guys, I told you it was going to be great. I want you guys to log in next week, Thursday. It's going to be another conversation with a great person. But until then, you guys have an amazing Thursday, and I see you next week.